Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you grab a seat, grab a Bible and get it open in front of you. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby, you'll find a black Bible under one of those chairs. And turn to Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts, fifth book into the New Testament, so towards the back of the Bible, Acts chapter 4. And if you just joined us for the first time last week for Easter and you've come back this week, you got to know we are walking through a journey through one book of the Bible right now, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And um, this is a crucial book for us. What we're doing is we're studying these very first Jesus followers after he had lived and he died and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. We're asking the question, how did these Jesus followers live out this life? And what did, what did, what did church look like then? And, and we're, we're all embracing this reality that church is not just a place we go to. It's not a service we attend. Church is the people of God called by God to this awesome mission of God. And we want to live like that. And, um, and, and sometimes I just think like the church gets bored. We as God's people can get bored and we just, we kind of do our churchy routine and we go to our church events and we know how to talk our church talk. But listen, there's something so much greater than that. He's called us out of just this rote routine of being a good, moral, religious person. And he's called us into this awesome adventure of being on mission for him, for the spread of the name of his son, for his glory to the ends of the earth. It's a pretty sweet privilege we get to be a part of here. And now, as we've walked through, we're, uh, we're coming to the end of chapter 4. Um, what we've seen so far is Jesus, um, he says something we never would have expected him to say at the beginning of this book of the acts, the actions of the apostles. He opens this book as he's appeared to them after his resurrection. He says, here's what I want you to do to start. Don't do anything. Wait. You have to wait. What are they waiting for? He says, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You need to wait for me to empower you to do this mission I've called you to do. And then in Acts 1.8, he tells them why they are to wait. And Acts 1.8 kind of serves as a GPS, as a navigation system for us to understand the book of Acts. And in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... What will you get receive when the Holy Spirit comes on you? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, has come upon you. And you will be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so there the early followers of Jesus are, 120 of them gathered in an upper room, and they're just praying. They're just praying until this Holy Spirit comes, until uh, Jesus sends his spirit on their behalf. And then Acts 2 comes, and, everyone, and all God's people said Acts 2 is sweet, right? Say, that's sweet. That was sweet. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, um, and just awesome things happen. Peter gets up, seizes the moment. He preaches a message. 3,000, you heard that right, 3,000 Jesus followers are added into the church that day. And then as Acts chapter 2 comes to, the, comes to its end, we see this beautiful, beautiful picture of how these early Christians are living and doing life together. We call it uncommon community. That powered by the Holy Spirit, the care, the love, the intentionality, the way that they just walked through life together was beautiful. Acts chapter 3 comes, Peter and John are walking up to the temple area for the time of prayer, and there's a guy at a gate, and he can't walk, and here's the deal, he's never been able to walk. More than 40 years of his life has never walked. Um, he's, he's asking for some change, any spare change, any spare change. Peter and John, as they're walking in for the hour of prayer, go, hey, here's the deal. We don't have any spare change, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, and he does. Um, Peter, again, seizes the moment. Peter likes to talk, and he's good at it. And uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he seizes the moment. He preaches about Jesus. The religious authorities come in and say, stop. Stop. Stop preaching about this name. And they say, thanks for your opinion, but we can't. It is what God has called us to do. They go back with this group of Jesus followers and they just start praying and they say, Lord, in light of the threats of the authority, the people who had the power to take our life, let us just be more bold. Let us just go back out tomorrow and preach this thing with even greater boldness. Now, as we come to the end of Acts 4, we get another snapshot. We get another picture of how these Jesus followers are living together in community. By this time, it has grown. There are thousands of them. And it, this, these couple verses at the end of Acts 4 that tells us crazily, this is crazy, 
This is the, 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 the title of this sub-series in the book of Acts. We're breaking the big book into sub-series. The title of this sub-series we start today is Radical. This is radical living. And the question we're asking ourselves, what if this radical living we're seeing in here is actually just to be the norm? What if this is just to be the norm in which we live as followers of Jesus? And what's so radical about this is, don't miss this, their joyful, radical generosity with each other. Like what we're going to see in this passage today is how a group of Jesus followers just totally lived open-handedly with each other and just truly lived out the expression, what's mine is yours, and I mean it. I mean it. And what we're going to see is a glimpse of how this Jesus community lived with audacious, radical, joyful generosity with one another. And three principles we pull out of this passage today that might lead us, that might lead us to a more joyful, radical, generous life as well. And so pray with me and let's ask for God's help, especially on this topic here today. Father, come now. Uh, Lord, anytime we um, are talking about generosity, we know, Lord, that you're going to go after uh, strongholds and idols in our heart. And Lord, I just say we welcome it. Lord, would you, um, would you so go after any strongholds, idols, anything we're clinging to that, um, that's tied to our checkbook, uh, that's tied to our bank account, that's tied to stuff we own? Lord, just go after it with reckless abandon this morning. God, we don't want to cling to the things of this earth. We thank you for them. They're gifts from you. You tell us you have given us everything we have for our enjoyment. Thank you, God, that you're a good dad who loves to give good gifts to his kids. But, Lord, where those good things have become God things, Lord, loosen the strongholds today. Lord, would clenched fists in here, mine included, would they open up? And Lord, in this Jesus community right here, God, would we be known for our radical, joyful, love, birth, unity-binding generosity with one another and beyond these walls. God, only your spirit can do that. God, what a miss this morning. If we leave here and because a preacher preached the message on generosity, we just feel strong-armed or arm-twisted to be more generous. Lord, down with that. Grip us from the inside out. Get our heart today, God, and do it by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 4, pick it up here in uh, verse 32. Remember, they're coming off of this where they've just prayed and asked God for more boldness to go out and speak. And now a snapshot of how this community is living together right here. Pretty remarkable. Verse 32 says, "Now, now the full number, now the full number, of those who believed of the Jesus followers were of what? What's it say? They were of one heart and soul. And now I want to point out some things on this note right here. Um, uh, right in the very beginning of that verse, it says, now the, now the what? Now the, now the full number, the full number of Jesus followers are one heart and soul. This wasn't some small group. Within the total community of Jesus followers, this wasn't some little faction within the total group of the Jesus community. This was the whole community of Jesus followers, one heart, one soul. There's not a stronger expression of unity that Luke could have used here as he wrote this. This wasn't just like, a, wow, we're, you know, we're going through a really good season and everyone's getting along. No, no, no. One heart, one soul from the inside out unity. Created by the Spirit of God, not strong arm, not, not this false creation of it by the apostles to just say, look how awesome our community is. Birthed by the Spirit of God right there in their heart. The Spirit of God has knit these people together in a one heart, one soul unity. And the crazy thing is, it says the full number. This was the totality, the reality of the totality of all of the Jesus community at this time. Now, um, what did this unity, what did this unity lead to? Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. This spirit-led, spirit-birthed unity 
has paved the way for this Jesus community to live in such a way where no one said that any of his things was his own. No one is saying the, the words, that's mine. Though they legally owned it, though th- th- this is not, and we're going to get to this, this is not some like they all pooled and no one owned private property anymore. No, they owned their property and none of them would say, that's mine. Um, living with a two-year-old at home right now, and um, there's an expression that he uses on, on, on command that we didn't have to teach him. It came hardwired. It came pre-assembled. Um, that expression is, that's mine. And in, 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 in my, I'm try, I've been trying to kind of break this down, how he thinks about what's his and not. If he can see it, it's his. That's mine's. No, and and he, he adds the S on the end. That's mine's. That's mine's. That's mine's. What's your, no, bro, no, no, the car is daddy's. No, it's mine's. Um, it, it's such to the point that if, um, if our two-year-old were to walk in the room and uh, coveted Buzz Lightyear um, was, was being played with by one-year-old, Trey Boy, um, you will hear in our house a two-year-old turn the corner, see one-year-old brother with coveted Buzz Lightyear, and you will quickly hear, it's about to go down in here. <laughs> That's mine! And a toy jacking is about to ensue right there. <laughs> That's mine. Opposite of the way my two-year-old's mind and life functions, uh, no one in the Jesus community here is saying that's mine. Though it was their private property, though they legally owned it, it was complete open-handedness. What do you need? What do you need? Well, man, that's, but, but man, that's yours. No, it's not, it's not mine. This is the Lord's. This is the Lord's. This is the Lord's that God in this season has just entrusted to me. How can, how can I meet your needs with what God has entrusted me? It's his. It's his, and if God says it needs to be yours, then it's yours. Now, let me bring you back to this. This wasn't just a couple small groups within the whole Jesus community. Go back to the beginning of that verse. Now the what? Now the what? Now the full number. This is the reality of how the Jesus community was functioning. No one, it's mine. It's this is God's. And how can we use this? And what needs are there in the community? Now the full number, keep going in this verse. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. But they had everything in common. Really important phrase right here. Some confusion throughout history of what did this mean. Um, let me tell you what this wasn't. This wasn't the apostles got up one day and said, guys, here's how this needs to work. We're going to all, like all of you, just throw all your stuff in the pool here. This wasn't, this wasn't a top-down command from the apostles. This wasn't a governmental structure imposed on the community and forced by, uh, for, uh, forcing the Christians to live this way. This was a voluntary, from the inside out, Spirit of God has gripped our hearts, created great love, great unity for all the people in here. Voluntarily, this was what's mine is yours. Voluntarily. Not forced governmental structure. Not top-down decision by the apostles. Peter never gets up here. Notice this. Peter never gets up here and says, hey, guys, okay, here's the deal. I've got some needs in the church. Some of you are being pretty stingy and greedy with your stuff. Um, let, me, let me preach guilt trip message on you so that you will be more generous. You never see that here. In fact, in fact, I, I kind of wanted to check this with our staff this week before I said this this Sunday. I believe you don't see anywhere in Scripture uh, guilt trip motivation for, pe- for God's people to give. I don't think you see it. You're like, well, well, remember when Paul was writing a pretty stern letter to the Corinthians there? Yeah, you know what he did? He just said, hey, can I just remind you of the gospel? This awesome Savior that we have who traded splendor of heaven to come to earth, like when that reality grips us, guys, we'll just open up our fists and we'll just be like, God, God it's yours. I don't think you see in any of Scripture this like guilt trip reality. This was a voluntary inside out, God, you have my heart so you have my stuff. 
And whatever you want to do with it, whatever needs you want to meet with it, that is the reality. Here's what I want to pull out of verse 32 for us this morning. Number one, spirit-led unity, the full number, one heart, one soul, spirit-led unity leads to joyful, radical generosity. Spirit-led unity leads to joyful, radical generosity. And now, now major, 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 major miss for us today. God, listen to this. Major miss. If we listen to this passage today and we listen to what God speaks to us and we go, oh, shucks. Man, like, you, you know, pastor preached the message on being more generous and my stuff and my money. Like, we better do that. And, you know, I kind of feel strong-armed into this, arm-twisted into this. Like, let, let's do this. Major miss today if we walk out of here flexing our flesh muscles to go, I've got to be more generous. Listen, listen, you will for a month. And then right back into our old pattern of how we've viewed our stuff and our money, right back into that. Um, This is not a message on flex your fleshly muscles to be more generous and a better giver. No, 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 no. This is um, um, gospel, grip your heart, fill you with a crazy love for the people in which you do life with, for the people in this body right here, if you're new to Jesus thing, I know the body thing's weird. What that means is a community of Jesus. You're like, what are you guys always talking about bodies before, like about? It means community of Jesus followers. Greater love for this body right here. Greater love for the neighbors. Greater love for coworkers. That leads you to just loosen the hands and go, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Not a flex the flesh muscles and how can we be better givers. We got to get at the motivation. What changes the motivation of our hearts that turns us into wanting to keep for security, for prestige, for comfort, to, 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 to reversing that problem, wanting to give, wanting to give for the good of others. What gets at the heart motivation of that? An odd little verse we find sandwiched right in the midst of this part of Acts. Verse 33. <clears throat> And with great power, the apostles were, what were they doing? They were giving their testimony. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's an odd addition right here in the midst of this. What you're going to find is verse 32 talks about the radical generosity of the Jesus community here. Verse 33 gives us this snapshot that the apostles are doing what Christ had called them to do. They're witnessing. They're they're continuing to proclaim this Jesus message and tell the world about Jesus. Verse 34, it's going to jump right back into the snapshot of generosity of these Jesus followers. Why in the world, in the midst of this story of generosity, does Luke put in here that the apostles are testifying to the good news message of Jesus? Here's why I think it is. Because that, my friends, is the motivation for a a generous life. Like, you pull out the gospel, then we just leave here today trying to be better moral people who are really, really uh, charitable. That is not the Christian message. We're not leaving here today trying to just be better and better people who are just charitable givers. No, we're leaving here today gripped by this testimony that the apostles are preaching that Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven, was born in a barn, grew to have a ministry that didn't even leave him with a place to sleep some nights, died a criminal's death so that we could experience what it truly means to be rich. When... When that message sinks in, we will not cling to our cars and our houses and our bank accounts and whatnot. We just won't. Because we'll understand one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to be in the riches of his presence because he is the riches. I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel this morning. Hey, if you give $1,000, you're going to get $10,000 back. No, if you're going to give $1,000 and obey Jesus, you're going to know Jesus better. He is the treasure.
believe why verse 33 is here, reminding us that all while the community of Jesus followers are living like this, the, the apostles just keep preaching this gospel, and they're doing it in power. And it says, great grace is upon them all. Luke is trying to give us a snapshot here of the beautiful reality that this generosity, is, in this unity and generosity is creating amongst the Jesus community here. Point number two, don't miss it. The message of Jesus is the motivation for a life of joyful, radical generosity. If you're here and you're not a Christian, let me speak to you for a moment. If someone asks you this week, hey, you went to church Sunday, what was it about? It was about giving, being more giving. It was not about that. You're like, okay, now I'm really confused. If you're here and you're not a Christian, here's what you have to understand. The message right now is about a Savior named Jesus who is enjoying the splendor of heaven as fully God, who took on skin who took on flesh. The story of Christmas is the story of his coming to earth. The story of Easter is the story of what was his death and then his resurrection to conquer sin and death on your behalf. This message today, if you're not a Christian here, was about this. What are you going to do with this Jesus? This was the message the apostles were preaching here. They were saying, listen, a Savior has come. You need to turn to him in faith. You need to repent and turn from your sin. You need to embrace him as Lord. This will radically alter your life and your eternity. What are you going to do with this Jesus? Then once that message grips our heart, it changes the way we go about living this life. Only once that message has gripped our hearts do we start to truly, out of a heart that wants to worship God, loosen the grip around our stuff and our money because we're living for a greater treasure. We've traded in trying to build our lowercase k kingdom into, and we've traded into building an uppercase k Christ kingdom. And he changes our desires and what used to matter so much to us. And this is why I think you have this note here now. Verse 34 picks it back up. It continues this snapshot of what this is looking like. And, and, and as verse 34 picks it up, what they're going to do is they're going to give us in general, here's how, this, here's how this was looking. Here's how this was looking, that no one was considering his stuff his own and they're living with everything in common, then it's going to give a very specific example of someone who is doing this. What we would call around here a God at work story or a testimony. Look at what happens here, verse 34, as they pick it up. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, now the God at work story, the personal example, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's just bring this lingo into today's lingo. What's going on here? Just so we feel the radical nature of how these people are living with each other. What's going on here? They're liquidating assets. The conversations around the dinner table are, hey, honey, honey, I've been praying today. And you know that corner field? I know this is crazy, but I think we could live off the land, the rest of the land we have, and I think we could sell that corner field, and I think we could sell it at a pretty good price. And, okay, what, what do you want to do with it? I actually want to go, and I just want to bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet and say the needs in the Jesus community, take this and meet the needs that are there. That's what's going on here. And then this positive example, because next week in Acts chapter 5 is going to come a negative example. This kind of story is going to be to be continued with a negative example. But then a positive example of Barnabas going, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. Sold a field, took what he made off it, said, here, whatever needs, whatever needs amongst the body, here, boom, there it is. And we go, this is crazy. This is radical. 
What if this is just supposed to be normal? Last point, joyfully, joyfully sacrificing what we do have for what others don't have is a defining distinctive of a Jesus-centered life. Joyfully. Don't miss that word. You see that? What's that first word? You tell me. Joyfully. Joyfully. You don't see the community here. You don't see Barnabas like, yeah, I did this because you guys said to. Here's your stuff. This was an overflow from the heart, the joyful expression of worship out of unity and out of love to meet the needs that there were in the body. What if these types of conversations are just supposed to be the norm? Hey, honey, did you hear uh, Sam and Sally, their, their washer broke, and they're trying to scrape some money up to get a new it. Can we, just, can we just go get them a washer? Like, can you just call Home Depot tomorrow, give them the address, have them drop it off there? What if, what if that's just supposed to be normal? Hey, so-and-so's down a car. Like, we have three. Can they have one? What if that's just supposed to be normal? Hey, uh, I think a $100 Kroger card right now for that family would go a long, long way. Can you grab that tomorrow, put it in a card, drop it? What if that's just supposed to be normal? Hey, what do you think about throwing a for sale sign in the front yard? Why? To sell the house. Yeah, got that part. Why? Um, honestly, just to lower our standard of living and be more free and available to meet needs that God brings our way. And here's the deal. We don't live like this because we have to. We live like this because we get to. This is something Jesus invites us into. And before I give you the nail of this message, on this point right here, joyfully sacrificing what we do have for what others don't have, can I just ask a question with Buzz? What's your Buzz Lightyear? Like, I, I don't get it. What for you when you come to this point and go, joyfully sacrificing what I do have for what others don't have? Okay, I got a good list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife's collection of that, that can go. <laughs> and um, yeah, some other things. What about that 1978 Ford Mustang GT Turbo? I, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. <laughs> what if God taps you on the shoulder this week and says, hey, Oh, hold, hold on, God. I, there's a lot of things on the table, but the 1978 Ford GT Turbo Mustang, like, no way. Can I just ask, what's your Buzz Lightyear? What for you when do you walk in the room and go, that's mine's? No, 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 no. I got a lot of things, but not that. And I'm not saying the point of today's message is not to be the Holy Spirit in your life and say God is telling you. I'm just saying, is everything on the table to him? Is everything on the table to him? Jesus invites me into a life of joyful, radical generosity. It's an invitation he extends to us. He's not impressed with us leaving here and going, man, I feel arm twisted to be a more generous person. If we can't do it joyfully from the heart of an overflow of worship, here's the deal, don't do it. But is it possible that when you read this part of the book of Acts, isn't there something in your heart that says, man, I want to know what it's like to live like that? I want to know what it's like to be free of, of the fear of if we give this field over here, what's going to happen personally? And that's kind of what we were banking on for the retirement plan. And what about if we sell that? What about the kids? It, I'm just telling you, I read this and my heart is so far at times from living like this, but I want to know what it's like to live like this. To just say, God, what you put on our heart will obey. We won't cling to anything. It's all on the table. Teach me what it looks like for you to invite me into a life of joyful, radical generosity. 
And now, um, we had told you that today is going to be a day where we unpack for you a vision of the days ahead for our church. And um, it's a bold vision, and it's a faith-filled vision. And this vision is going to call this Jesus community into some of the most stretching seasons we've potentially ever had of walking with Jesus. It's going to stretch us as it comes to prayer. It's going to stretch us as it comes to boldness to witness to tell people about Jesus. It's going to stretch us when it comes to this area of sacrificially giving of what we do have, of what's sitting in our bank account, of assets that we have, in order to see God make this vision for our church a reality. Um, this is a vision that includes um, the, the moving forward of a permanent church home for Harvest Bible Chapel. But listen to me, this is not a building campaign. This is a vision that includes us moving forward to have a facility in order to make disciples out of it, but this is not a building campaign. This is a vision campaign that must always be and remain about Jesus at front and center and the vision he's called this church to, which will include a facility, but that facility is only as good as how it facilitates helping us meet that vision. What is the vision? Disciples made to the glory of God here, near, and far. And we believe God's calling us into a season where he wants to entrust to us a tool in order to execute that vision well. And so before we talk about the days ahead, let me just give us a snapshot of where we've been. Because where a church has been sets the context for where it's going. On September 13th of 2015, this church was launched publicly. And um, on, who is there? Who is there launch Sunday? There launch Sunday? So cool. So cool. That portable wall shut. All of us crammed here on the carpeted area. And um, uh, who remember, anyone remember what passage was preached launch Sunday? Anyone remember? It's okay. I don't remember what I preached last week. So uh, you won't offend me. Anyone remember? Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. In the book of Ephesians, um, you have really two uh, kind of distinct parts. You have the beginning of the, this letter, and Paul, what he's doing is he's reminding people of their identity, who they are in Christ, and then you have the second half of the letter that gets into all the practicalities. Now, based on who we are in Christ, here's how we're to live as Jesus followers. Right smack dab in the middle of those two sections is an awesome prayer that Paul prays for these believers. And this prayer crescendos into this statement that says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than anything that we could ask for or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we just got up here that day and we said, um, that prayer right here, this church. God, just do that. God, come and be the God who will do exceedingly abundantly more than anything we could ask for or imagine. God, would you come and be the God that you will bring yourself glory through your son being lifted up in this church, and would you do it forever and ever, amen. Lord, would this church be here one day when you return and will it have never deviated from being all about your glory and all about your word and all about the worship of your son? God, come and do that. That's what we preach that Sunday. And in the first two and a half years of the church, um, uh, give me an amen if you agree with this. God, our good and gracious God has done exceedingly abundantly more than anything we could have dreamed. We've clung to a promise that Jesus made when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, we're still clinging to that promise that you will build your church. And we just ask this, praise the Lord for what he's done in two and a half years and him doing exceedingly abundantly more than anything we could have dreamed of. But Lord, if that's what you've done in two and a half years, God, what might you be pleased to do in 25 years through this church? God, what might you want to do in 50 years through this church? God, if you, have, if you have not sent your son back, 
What might you do through this church 100 years from now? This is what this vision is getting after. This vision is going to include things um, that are going to affect generations of this church moving forward. I'm driving to a meeting this week just thinking, um, this vision, including us having a permanent facility, my grandkids could come to know Jesus right here. That was cool to me. This is a massive vision for the days ahead. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to watch this video to introduce us to this vision, and then our pastors and elders are going to join me on stage here as we unpack the days ahead for our church. Watch this with us. God sends out his people. Sent people carry the gospel, and the gospel changes everything. It redefines lives, it rewrites culture, it remodels neighborhoods, it reshapes nations. When God's people live sent, radical transformation happens. Three years ago, a small group of sent people gathered in this living room right here with a mission of transforming the south suburbs of Indianapolis with the gospel. Today, that same group gathers, along with many others, with a mission of transforming the world. Now, many would look at the early story of our church and they'd say, mission accomplished. But we would say, this is just the beginning of the story because there are still hundreds of thousands of people living in Indianapolis, millions in America, and billions around the world who have not had the opportunity to experience the radical transformation of the gospel. See, we believe this is because over time, the church has grown bored. We focused too much attention on making the church service more exciting, and we've lost the focus on unleashing a people sent by God for the spread of his gospel. But what would happen if we rediscovered what it meant to follow Jesus, to be on mission with him and with other followers of Christ? From the very beginning, God told his people to go, he sent them out to make disciples. He didn't gather them in huddles to protect them from danger and help them live a comfortable life. Instead, he called them to go and to live an exciting, radical life for his glory. And if we live this way, transformation happens. It happens in you, it happens in your neighborhood, and it happens in the nations. Now, you may be wondering, what do I have to do with all this? The reality is God has called you to live sent. Because to be a Jesus follower is to be sent. We're called to go and make disciples. But that does not necessarily mean a bigger and bigger Harvest Bible Chapel. That means mobilizing groups of sent people carrying the gospel here, near, and far. We're sent here to establish a sending base on the south side that's going to equip us to share the gospel with those you're already doing life with. And then we're sent near and far to be a part of starting Bible-preaching, Jesus-worshiping, vertical churches beginning in central Indiana and moving out to the nations and to the ends of the earth. You are a gospel carrier. You have been called by God to go with His message and to watch Him transform lives and communities as you join Him in the work that He is already doing. You are sent. Will you go? And so our pastors and elders are going to join me up here on stage as we unpack for you what is the sent vision and what is this all about. Um, and uh, by the way, where we shot that video really was the living room we had the first ever vision meeting in. Here's, here's the unique thing about it. Um, Dan, and Parrott, or Dan and Robin Parrott used to own that house. We didn't even know the people we were shooting that video in their living room. And at one point, the, the guy shooting it goes, uh, hey, I'm getting, picking up some noise from downstairs. Can you go tell them to kind of quiet down a little? We go, no, we can't. We don't even know them. We can't tell them to be quiet in their house. So just cool how God worked that out. What is the scent vision? Scent um, encapsulates, scent is the word that encapsulates what we want this vision to be all about. What has to remain at the forefront in the season ahead for our church is not a building. It's not dirt that we're going to be watching move. It's not walls that we're going to be watching go up. Um, that cannot steal the headline from Jesus and from the mission he's called this church to be all about. 
Sent has to keep the mission in front of us. Sent is about all of us growing deeper in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And sent is all about what it, as we grow deeper in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, growing deeper in what it means to be a disciple maker. And so this sent vision is really about this. It's about us moving into a season where we establish a sending base that mobilizes a sent people that we establish a sending base, a facility that mobilizes a sent people. It's got to remain about the people. It's got to remain about us growing and then seeing others come to know this Jesus that we know and, and introducing them into relationships. The sent vision is really broken into three parts here that we want to unpack for you today. Sent here, sent near, and sent far. And so let me just start with the, what does it mean that we are sent here? This is the focus of the vision where we're going to pour our efforts and our energies into um, um, being the best, most strategic, um, most faithful we can be to reach the south side of Indianapolis right here where God has planted us to be. Um, one of the things as our pastors and our elders have been seeking the Lord on this, one of the things we think needs to, be, needs to happen in the season ahead in order for us to be most effective, to, to focus our energies the best that we can in order to be the disciple makers God's called us to be right here on the south side is we believe it's time to move forward uh, to acquire the piece of land and begin the process of moving towards having the first ever in the history of Harvest, the first ever facility uh, for our church. And um, if you're new to Harvest, over a year ago now, um, if you're not new, you've heard us talk a lot about this. Over a year ago now, conversations began with this school district right here about a piece of property. When you leave, look on the other side of the football field, a piece of property for us to acquire where they would build an elementary school on one side of it. We would build our church facility on the other side of it. Now, we said something. We tried to say something from day one as leaders in this church. We knew that the first Sunday we would come in, we'd set this place up, we'd tear it down, adrenaline would still be pumping, and we'd say, that was awesome. And then we knew a year would set in, and two years would set in, and coming up on two and a half years, um, the, we knew that this, this, this is work. This takes work. And how thankful are you for our faithful setup and teardown teams who do this work every single week in here? <clears throat> and we knew that there would come a time where we would just start to want to grab after any potential permanent facility out there and just go, yes, that is of the Lord. Why? Because we're sick of teardown. And uh, I remember just on that note, um, I'm thankful for how God calls the church to be led by a plurality of elders. Um, Andrew Chop is kind of our resident architect, engineer guy on the elder board. And um, I remember kind of when Jonathan Bird's building was going in transition and just, get, Andrew, you know, let's go walk through that. Let's go walk, come on, let's go walk through that. And I'm like, this will work, right? And he's like, this won't work, Brock. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't hear me. This will work, Right? Let's just go. Let's just have a home. And, and, and we've waited. And we've, you've heard us talk about this land deal with the school for a lengthy time now. This has been a slow process. This has been a collaborative process. This has been a meticulous process. But we believe it's time to move forward. God continues to give us favor. The collaboration between us and the school district is sweet. It's just sweet. And um, um, in order to maximize our effectiveness for the south side, we believe it's time to move forward in um, establishing a church home, establishing a sending base for this church right here on the south side of Indiana, Indianapolis. Um, yeah. Now, um, the vision doesn't stop there. That's, that's the part where this would kind of be your traditional capital campaign for a facility, and we would just go, yeah, 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 and then we'd celebrate one day when we have the keys in hand and we move in and we have the first service. It's got to be about more than that. It's got to be about more than that. It cannot only be about brick and mortar. We thank God for the tool that a building will be. We'll thank God for that brick and mortar, but there's a purpose of it. Disciples made on the south side of Indianapolis, and then secondly, what's this sent near all about? 
sent near is about then how do we, out of this sending base headquarters that God is going to entrust to us, how do we become about reaching central Indiana with more all about God's glory, gospel proclaiming, open your Bibles and say what God says, worship Jesus and trust God for all the rest. How do we establish more churches like this in other communities around central Indiana where, uh, that maybe don't have a church? That's about those things. And on this note of us becoming a church planting church, this sent near vision of reaching central Indiana by planting churches in other nearby communities, um, this is not something we've gone out and have tried to solicit or make happen. We've not gone to neighboring communities and say, hey, is anyone here interested in planting a church? Here's what's happened in the first two and a half years of our church. People have started driving. Um, people are driving from the north side of Lafayette, People are driving up from Brown County, an entire contingent driving from Shelbyville. There'll be 25 of them as a group that are sitting in the second service this morning. Um, people, uh, some people who used to come to our church are now in Terre Haute, and they're saying, hey, we're looking. There's, can you guys, can, can we, they go, can you live stream the service into our living room, and we'll start something in Terre Haute. And I said, dude, does it look like we know how to live stream anything? And um, I said, what you need to do is you need to, go, you need to go back and you just need to pray if God would want a church planted there. And I was just kind of trying to stall them. And they grabbed one of our elders uh, shortly after they go, we had like dozens of people in our house the other night to pray about this. Like, what are you guys going to do now? It's like, we still don't know. Um, but here's what we do know. God is bringing opportunities and we want to maximize those. We knew from day one. If you've been around here, you're like, hey, this vision you guys just cast today, it's nothing new. It's what you said you guys were going to do from day one. It is. We know that God has called us to be a church planting church. And Sent Near is about how do we maximize these efforts of being a church planting church. Uh, you're going to see as part of this vision, we're going to be unleashing over the coming months and years um, some things, summer internships, summer internships that create a pool of future ministry leaders that we want to staff these churches with. You're going to start to see what we're calling seminary residents. What's a seminary resident? Seminary resident is a, a, a guy who we believe God has called into pastoral ministry ministry who we're going to invest over the course of about three years, uh, both in their education and seminary and in their practical training. We're going to have them on site here for the purpose of building up future leaders for these churches we're planting. You're going to start to see over time here what we call church planting residents. That's a church planting resident. Uh, it's someone who's coming to spend nine to 12 months with us just for the sole purpose of being prepared to go lead a church that will be planted out of here. And um, you're going to start to see these things because as God brings opportunities from these neighboring communities, we believe God is calling us to be, hey, you ever go to a hospital that's a training hospital? You hear that? A training hospital? We believe God has called us to be a training church so that when, when an opportunity and God says, hey, there's a core group in Shelbyville and we, God's stirring something there that we'd go, yeah, and we, we got a whole team of people ready to go lead the charge there. Let's go. And uh, that's what Centineers about, us becoming a church planting church in central Indiana. And then Sent Far. Um, the Great Commission is not just an Indiana thing, and it's not just a United States thing. The Great Commission is a global thing. It's about reaching the nations. And um, if you've been around Harvest any time at all and you're passionate about global missions, um, let me just encourage you, thank you so much just for your patience with us in the first two and a half years as a church. One decision we made early on was that we can't start everything all at once. Um, we knew we had to get the church up and going, and then we had to start small groups, and then we had to start uh, student ministry, and then we had to start get our biblical soul, soul care team up and going for counseling. Uh, but our elders and our pastors believe now is the time for us to move forward in um, the, a strategic global mission strategy, and here's where this global mission strategy is beginning. Um, we will be searching out, asking the Lord for direction, and identifying global strategic partner churches. What does that mean? We will start on the continent of Africa, continent of Europe, continent of Asia, and continent of South America. And we, will, we are going to be in a season of prayer and discernment over what, where is the specific country in each of those continents that you're calling us to. Once we know the country, we're then going to be asking God for a greater level of detail. Where's the specific local church within that country? Indigenous, native, local church you're calling us to partner with.
Once God identifies these strategic global partner churches on each of these continents to start, we then um, will be coming alongside of them as a congregation to uh, financially be a blessing to them to help resource and train them for them to become the disciple-making, church-planting church. God has called them to be within their cultural context there. And that's where we will begin to take our regular uh, short-term missions trips to year after year after year after year. That's important to us, year after year after year after year. Not, not kind of uh, just parachute in for a week and then we leave and we never see these people again. These congregations are going to become family to us. Their pastors, how sweet one day when a pastor from India is preaching the word of God and he says, um, open your Bible to, and then he brings the word of God to us here while we're bringing the word of God to them and we're watching each other's families grow, uh, physical families and faith family. That's the kind of ongoing partnership we want to have with these global strategic church partners as they become church planting churches within their context. That's what Scent is all about. It is about a vision, and it's about a vision that God, yes, in the season to come is going to entrust to us a tool. That's what this sending base facility is. It's a tool that allows us to go after this vision, amen? And so um, when you walk out of here today, you're going to get a whole book on what this vision is all about. Do not walk out of this room without one of these books. Um, We made enough, not even like one per family. All of you take one. And just be reading over this and praying through it as you do. Um, But as we know something, that this is about more than just a building campaign, and yet in the season we're going into, this facility, it's a reality. And it's a big deal that God is entrusting to us to steward. And so I want you to just see some kind of where the work on this future facility is. And you're going to be seeing more of these kind of renderings and floor layouts and whatnot in the weeks to come as we go through this kind of public phase of the vision initiative. But first first image I want you to take a look at here is just kind of the, the master plan of where things are at right now. Um, The lower part of this um, image here is the school we're sitting in right now. You see that, um, um, what's that color? Gray oval, black oval, that's the football field. On the other side of the football field, the north side of the property, you see up there um, towards the interstate what is uh, where potentially our future church home is going to be sitting. Uh, To the west of that is the school district's future, just kind of a, a, a block rendering of Um, what their future uh, elementary school facility will look like. Um, Now, all of these pictures that I show you, what is the only thing consistently true about all of them? They will change. They will change. And so don't walk out of here going, that's it. No, no, no. These are works in progress. If you've ever built a house, you know that it's kind of constantly work in progress and and changing some things. But this gives you an idea of kind of what the master site plan um, will look like. Uh, Next picture is um, just our architect's latest rendering of what our church home uh, might look like um, sitting there um, next to the interstate there and what we believe God is calling us towards um, constructing um, and then within that building, just one thing that's really important just for, as a conversation point. In that building, the biggest decision our pastors and elders have had to wrestle with, and it's been a three to four month wrestle for us, is the question of how large of a worship center are we going to design in this facility? Um, how large of a worship center you design in a facility dictates how large of a kids ministry you need, how large of a lobby, how large of a parking lot do you need. And um, we have gone into this decision prayerfully over a long period of time. And there's three factors that went into the decision we uh, have made and are moving towards as far as how large of a worship center. First factor was prayer. Just asking God to continue to bring onto our heart the right number he was leading us to. The second decision had to do with metrics. Okay, just what does the data say in the first two and a half years? And how do we use that to make the best decision for what what will look like two years out when we could be moving into this building and 20 years out for the good of this church? So data went into it. And then this third reality was just the feel. Okay, if we build a worship center of that size... Can we protect the family feel in that? 
How can people walk in and be known where no one is getting lost in this? And so um, we believe as pastors and elders over the course of months as we prayed about this, that God is leading us uh, to construct a 1,200-seat worship center inside of that building. And um, what went into that account of that was um, we've used just the data of kind of what trajectory God has had our church on in the early days. And um, if we move in, Two years from now, roughly uh, winter, spring of 2020, at just kind of currently the trajectory of what God's doing in the early days of our church, um, we would be the worship center in each service, first and second service, would be 62.5% full. Now, in church world, 80% full is full. 80% full is full. If we lowered that number back to even a thousand seat worship center, in first and second service, on day we move in, we'd be like 75% full. To give you a feel of kind of what does this percentage full thing feel like? How many of you were here in this service, first service last week? First service last week? How full do you think that was? What? 90, yeah, full, right? 90% full. So it means there were 65, roughly 65 empty chairs sitting in here, but we had new families walking in, literally turning around and walking back out, like calling their husband going, there ain't no seats. And we're like catching them, no, 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 we promise there are, we promise. That was 90% full. And so a 1,200-seat worship center allows us to move in day one, have some room for growth for the future of this church uh, that we believe is just right. Now, some of you might go, 1,200-seat worship center, that's huge. How do we protect the family field? What I love about Harvest is that you can come in and you're known, and it feels like family, and people are genuinely excited that you're there. How do we make sure we don't lose that? We wrestled this question to the ground. And here's what Pastor DJ, who just has a way of after hours of discussion, boiling it down into this one golden statement that we're like, dude, where was that like two and a half hours ago? And he said, here's what I found. Um, He has a background in traveling and leading worship in all different churches through his college. He goes, here's what I found and we found through that. The family feel wasn't dictated by the building or the size of the worship center. The family feel was dictated by the family sitting in the seats there. They go, he goes, if the family will embrace new people into the family, we will keep the family feel of this church. And we all as elders and pastors said amen to that. The f- protecting the family feel in this transition, guess what? It's on us. It's on us as the family to embrace new people into the family. Now, How that worship center is designed, we told our architects, smallest feeling 1,200-seat worship center that you can possibly design. And on that note, something that's really exciting about the design of that worship center is, um, if you're sitting in that back row back there, if you're sitting in that back row back there, yeah, you do deserve a round of applause. That back row in this room right here is farther from the stage than the back row in this worship center will be. Everything is so much closer. Everything, you know, we're going to walk in and we're going to be family worshiping Jesus in that regard. So a couple things on the facility of this. But the facility's got to do something. It's got to facilitate the vision God has called this church to be about. And on that note, listen, we have some very specific goals for our church family in the days ahead. This vision will not become reality without all of us leaning in and doing what God has called us to do in this. So Pastor Mark, if you would, just kind of share with us some of those goals for the days ahead. Sure. So we have two really big goals for this vision initiative. And the first one is 100% participation. We want everybody that calls Harvest your church home engaged in this vision. We don't want to leave anybody behind because as Brock said, we're family. And this vision that he's cast, this is this is everything God has called us to. It's not just a building. It's everything God has called us to be about. And so when we say 100% participation, there's four things we're asking of you. The first is to pray. We need to all be praying for this vision, for God's direction in this, praying for leadership. And I want to ask Pastor DJ to talk just a minute here about some plans that we've got in the coming weeks regarding prayer. Yeah, so I think... Um, over the, the coming weeks throughout this Scent Vision and then over the coming years as we walk through this, one of the things we truly desire is that this would spark a prayer movement within our church. Because what we know is the vision that God is calling us to is impossible in our own strength. And one of the most practical and best ways we stay humble before the Lord is we pray. 
And so over the coming years, we want to see us grow as a praying church. And part of the way we do that is just to what? Pray. Pray. We just got to pray. And so we're going to do something really practical over the next five weeks to try to help us with that. And so starting tonight and then every night thereafter for the next five weeks until May 6th from 7 to 8 o'clock at the church office. And if you don't know where it is, in the booklet that you'll pick up on your way out, you'll find the address for our church office. We're going to be praying together every night, 7 to 8. We're calling these deep nights. Drop everything and pray. And we are so excited to be able to have the chance to pray together as a church. And I would encourage you and challenge you this way. Please come to these nights. If you have plans on the calendar, change them. If you, like, if you're in a small group, go to your small group leader and say, hey, let's like commit to at least two or three weeks. Let's just have our small group just go to one of these deep nights. I can't wait to see what God is going to do and grow us as a church who prays throughout the coming weeks. And we really believe these deep nights will help spark for us a passion for prayer. And so I just want to encourage all of you uh, to, to come to these nights. They're going to be powerful nights as we stay dependent on the Lord through this season of our sent vision. Thanks, DJ. The second thing we're asking you to do is we're asking you to commit to this thing, just to be all in for whatever God's calling you to do as part of this vision initiative. The third thing is to go, and what we mean by that is to live a life sent for Jesus Christ, as we've been talking about. What, wherever God might be calling you to go, here, near, or far, you may be at some point in the future sitting here and feeling the Holy Spirit pressing in on you saying, I want you to go be a part of that plant in wherever. Okay. And we should just be a people that's ready to, to hear God and obey him and go where he's calling us to go. And then the fourth thing we're asking for, of you is to give. And specifically, our ask is that you would seek the Lord to ask God, what are you calling me and my family to give to this? Joyfully, radically, and sacrificially. And, and we would love to see 100% of the people who call Harvest their church home engaged in giving to this thing. And, and for every one of us, that's going to look different. Because you may be somebody who's just never given to a church before. You just never felt you've been in the position. And so the next step for you might be for the very first time trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give something here. Or you may be somebody who's been, who has given before, but the next step for you may be becoming more of a regular giver, like, Lord, okay, I'm going to start trusting this certain percentage. Whatever that happens to be, you may be somebody that's been doing that for years, and for you it may be a more radical change in how you think about how you might give to this. Again, the, the thing is we're asking you, seek the Lord, and wherever the Lord leads on, on for you, and it needs to be joyful in everything. And that leads us to the second big goal, and that is we would like to raise $5.9 million over two years. And so this is a two-year vision initiative. It starts in May, and it goes till May of 2020. And over those two years, we would like to see $5.9 million in total giving over those two years. So let me talk about that number a little bit. I, that is total giving. That is not an ad additional amount over what's normally given. Just for, That is everything. That includes everything that God's called us to do in the next two years. That includes ascending base. It includes the work we're going to do on church planting. It includes the ongoing ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, having church on Sunday mornings and having kids and students and small groups. Everything God's called us to is in that number. And just to give you some context for that number, so because we can put a number up there, and you can say, I don't even know if that's big or what. It seems big. That number is a little over double what we would expect or we would forecast would be given to the church if we weren't running this, weren't launching this vision campaign. So if we were just going on and doing church and not talking about scent, we would expect normal giving over the next two years to be a little less than half of that. So that just gives you a context of where that number is relative to our, to our church. And so the other important thing I want to leave you with about this is that we're going to do this with something we call One Fund. And so let me tell you what One Fund is. So if you've been around church world for any amount of time, you've probably been involved in a capital campaign before. 
and it's maybe a building campaign. And typically, what's traditionally done is you're asked to make a pledge to that building campaign. And so you've got your regular giving, and then you've got your building campaign giving. And so a lot of times, if you make a pledge to that, you're, you're writing a check to the church for what they call general fund, and then you're writing another check that goes to the building fund. It's a designated fund. And so one of the issues with that is it can leave people behind. And not everybody can feel like they can participate in that. If you're somebody who's never given to the church before and, and something like that happens, you're like, I'm just trying to get to the point where I can give to the church, let alone give to a building. I just can't be a part of that at this point in time. And so with one fund, every single dollar given to Harvest Bible Chapel over these next two years goes to everything that God has called us to do as part of Sent. It goes toward the sending base, it goes toward church planning, and it goes to the ongoing ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel. Everything in together. And so if you give $10 or $100 or $1,000 or $100,000, regardless, you're a part of what God is calling us to do. And so as we look to the future and we see that first church planted, or we go into that new building, we worship the Lord for the first time together, we can all collectively go, wow, isn't it amazing what God has done? And it's so cool I got to be a part of that. That's what we want because we're family. And so, Brock, I wanted you to just talk about that $5.9 million a little bit more. So this graphic that's behind me here, it'll show a breakout of this $5.9. Um, sent here in the blue, sent near in the black, sent far in the gray there. Sent here, um, 5.15 of the 5.9 is going towards us establishing our church home, uh, us, uh, the operations of uh, just normal ministry around here, and us reaching the south side. Sent near half a million dollars over the coming years is going to go towards us planting churches around us in central Indiana and beyond domestically here. A quarter of a million dollars over the coming years is going to go towards establishing these global strategic partners. And you say, I thought this wasn't a normal building fund. Why is there so much blue? Why is so much of that pie blue? Here's the deal. Why so much of the pie is blue right now is because we need to make an investment now that allow, allows the black piece and the gray piece to expand over time. If we can invest in having a home base, a headquarters, a sending base, it'll allow the slice of the black and the gray of planting churches nearby and reaching the nations to increase over time. But we're going into a season right now where we have to make an investment for the tool that God has called us to have. Amen? And so, hey, Harvest, stand on your feet right now. Stand up. And I'm, I'm going to send us out of here um, with this question. Would you commit today to making a commitment? Would you commit today to making a commitment? On May 6th, four weeks from right now, we're going to come in here and it's going to be Commitment Sunday. And all of us is what we're praying. All of us are going to go home and in the next month, we're going to get on our faces individually or together as a family. And we're just going to ask God this question. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to give? And then here's the deal. You ready for Harvest Bible Chapel's capital campaign spiel? You ready for this? Just obey what God says to do. That's it. Just obey what God says to do. But on May 6th, Commitment Sunday, we're all going to come here. We're going to have cards. We're going to commit to the vision of this thing. And we're going to say, God, we believe this is what you're calling us to in the days ahead. And here's the reality. This does not become a reality unless all of us go all in for what God has called us to do in this season. It just won't become a reality. This is 100% of us all in to obey the Lord in the season ahead. And so May 6th is a key date. This week, if you're here, Tuesday and Thursday night at the offices, 6.30 to 8, some town halls. If you have questions, come and hang out with us those nights. If you were part of one of the small group preview service, um, um, meetings this last week, it'll be very similar. You're welcome to join us again, or um, you'll, you'll have kind of gotten that last week. And then don't forget, every single night from 7 to 8, starting tonight at the offices, we're praying. And we, want, we long to see what God will do through a people who will just get together and pray in this. Guys, anything I'm missing? Harvest, you excited for the days ahead? Thank you for leaning in in this season. Thank you that we know that we have a church who's going to go home and ask the Lord, God, what are you calling us to? And we know we have a church who's going to obey in that. Thanks for the extended service today and your attention in it. Harvest, we love you. You are loved. You are sent. We'll see you right back here next week. Have a great week.